Thank you for checking out the Detroit Church Podcast. We're a growing community in the heart of the city, and we exist to awaken Detroit to the greatest adventure of all time. Although the pandemic causes us to adjust our methods, our message stays the same. God, through Jesus, is making all things new. a sense of deep longing and need and an acknowledgement maybe more than ever because the need has always been there but it's an acknowledgement of the need that we need God we need you God and I pray today that through the words that I'm going to share in the next few moments if you're not already in that place that your faith will be stirred and that you will get to that place I want to talk to you for a few moments on a promise fulfilled. A promise fulfilled. I remember as a kid growing up, my parents, thank you to the thank you to the to the band. Dave, what's good, baby? Good to see you. It's my brother there. Bree her, thank you all so much. As a kid growing up, my parents were, they always liked to like do something. I would even call us mischievous. Like to trick us as kids, so you know, we leave a restaurant where we just had a full meal and a dessert. We ride right past a Dairy Queen or McDonald's, you know, with the, with the nice ice cream machines. And uh, my dad would ask us, "Oh, anybody want to stop for dessert?" And having just having eaten on full stomachs, we'd all say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." My dad would say, "No." <laughs> So cruel, so mean, and he and my mom would just be laughing. <laughs> I was like, why would he do that to us? And I remember through the years, they would promise us things, or kind of like, kind of give us a hint that they would do certain things, and then we'd, we'd kind of wait, and it would seem like nothing would happen. And two cases in particular I'm thinking about is they promised that they were going to redo our room, like get our room fixed up, and... You know, we uh, we were kind of sl- we only went on struggle bus, so our room was kind of like you know needed some work. So they they were going to get these bump beds and and new like uh, drapes and a rug and all this stuff, right, to make our room nice. And it wasn't happening; it didn't happen. And on another occasion, my dad told us uh, he was asking us if we liked the uh, the new Jordans. Now the Jordans like weren't back then; they weren't what they are now. There's this sense of like you know mystique to them. But even then, we knew that Jordan was a bad boy, and it was the hottest shoe on the market, and Jordan was kind of breaking all kind of records, and it was the first time a player had had his own shoe. So the Jordan 1s I'm talking about, yes, 1984, 1985, and he, he kind of teased us with it, and we, we forgot about it. And on both of those occasions with the room and the Jordans, my mom with the room, my dad with the Jordans, what they did is they called us into the room, me and my brother Quincy, one by one, and we thought we were in trouble. And we thought we were about to get a whooping, yes, a a, a spanking on the behind. And uh, we went to the room and both times they fulfilled their promise and they surprised us. And we walked into the room for my mom with the room. The door was closed, so one brother went in first. And when he, we saw the room, we were just in amazement. We had to kind of keep our voices down. So my the other brother didn't hear what was taking place. So it's like fake cry and all that stuff. And my parents were something else, man. But there was this, this sense of defeat. Like they forgot. Or they promised it and it wasn't going to happen. And they kept their word. They kept their word. And I want to talk to you today 
about a promise that was made by Jesus and by his father and a promise that even in the midst of defeat, even though it may look like he's forgotten, he hasn't kept his word, I want to encourage you today and remind you in case you don't know this, that his promises are yes and amen. His promises are sure and he has fulfilled his promise. John chapter 14. We have been in this series all year, most of the year, and talking through the Gospel of John. The series is called Epiphany. Now, I don't know about you, but I have had an epiphany. This revelation, greater, deeper, more meaningful understanding of who Jesus is is as we climb through this chapter in John chapter 14 we're going to be starting at verse 12 we find Jesus the night before he is arrested or the night of his betrayal and arrest and these are the last moments that he really has with his disciples his closest friends before he dies in verse 12 he says truly truly I say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So let me just kind of tie this together real quick. We're going to hear a few different promises. We're going to hear from the words of Jesus. God, God the eternal son, who came to earth and walked among us, with us, like us, for us, right? And he makes some promises to his friends, his closest friends, the disciples. That's who the immediate audience is, right? But there's also this sense that we, as followers of Jesus, are also disciples. And these are promises that we can hold fast to and we can believe as well. So before we get into this, I'm going to read verse 12 again. I just want to ask you a simple question. And this isn't to put you on a spot. You know, it's something for you to think about. Maybe it's rhetorical, but it's something for you to think about. I don't want to take for granted who we have here at, the, at this beautiful park today. I don't want to take for granted who may be listening to us here in this apartment building next door. Or one of the houses here. I don't want to take for granted who may be watching us on a live stream right now or watching some months later on YouTube. And the very simple question I have for you is do you believe Jesus? Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe him with your head? Do you believe him with your heart? Do you, do you believe him with your, your intellect? Do you believe him emotionally? How invested are you in this God-man, Jesus? Do you really believe him? He says in verse 12 again, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So there's the first promise. The first promise is to the one who believes in Jesus the Christ, that the works that Jesus has done, the person who believes would do those same works. But wait, it gets better. He then says, and greater works, yo, greater works than these they will do because I am going to the Father. Now, that phrase has been thrown around for a long, long time. It's often quoted. It's often mentioned. It may be 
you've lived under the prison of what the expectation is of that promise of Jesus. And maybe it had something in mind that Jesus did not have in mind. Could that be possible for any of us? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what Jesus is saying here is not necessarily greater in power than those that he performed, but greater, get this, in extent. Greater in extent and greater in reach. Who is he talking to? His disciples. Did they perform miraculous works? Yes, they did. Just as Jesus had done. Acts chapter 5 tells us now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. These were the disciples. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. It goes on to say that they even carried out the sick into the streets and they laid them on cots and on mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow, at least his shadow could bring them healing. So we see the, the disciples operating in this sense of power. But this was the same power that Jesus had. So it wasn't necessarily greater in power, but it was greater in extent. Why? Because Jesus never preached outside of Palestine. Jesus was one man, yet his followers would spread the gospel throughout the entire world. We talked about that a few weeks ago the impact that the disciples had and early disciples had around the globe. And, 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 and specifically, Peter and Paul would reach the Gentile world in a much greater way than Jesus physically did as one human person in one physical body while he was on the earth. So the greater works is not in power necessarily, but it is in extent and reach. Then he makes another promise. Verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He makes another promise. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How many of us have heard this verse before? Like, have you ever lived with this longing, this expectation, like, yo, whatever I ask, he's going to do. But I asked for this, and it didn't happen, God. What, what am I missing? What am I missing? Are you really a promise keeper? Is your word actually true? Now, get this. Jesus here, in this setting again, is preparing them for his departure. This setting is his his last intimate moment with them. It's known as his farewell address. During this time period of Jesus' earthly ministry, three and a half years, the disciples were with him every moment. And Jesus called them to follow him, which meant they had to leave their families, leave their occupation, leave their source of income and livelihood, leave their way of earning resources and follow Jesus. So can you imagine when Jesus says, I, Jesus is telling them, I'm going away? Like, can they be, could they possibly be thinking, yo, like how are we going to take care of ourselves? Like there were occasions where Jesus fed them. One occasion where Jesus even paid Peter's taxes, the Gospels tell us. Like he met their needs spiritually, naturally, emotionally, so the fact that he's saying he's leaving 
we can only begin to imagine what they were feeling. He says to them, I'm going to go away. But if you ask me anything in my name, this I will do. Jesus is anticipating their concern. He's anticipating that they're going to, they're going to think because I'm gone, that I'm no longer with them. So let me offer them a few promises. And he makes another promise. Verse 14, he says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now it sounds pretty straightforward, but let's, let's dig into the context of what Jesus yeah. is saying here. Are you with me? Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Remember, we're talking promise fulfilled or promise fulfilled. Now, this promise that Jesus makes, the purpose of it, yes, it would give them provision. It would meet a natural and a spiritual need, but there was something so much more important that Jesus was after. And that was that the Father may be glorified. He says that clearly. That the Father may be glorified. Again, he says in 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I'm going to do it. Now, just for a minute, can we just talk about this? To ask something in Jesus' name is not some frivolous benediction to our prayer. It's not just some buzzword we tag at the end of our request thinking that it's an uh, abracadabra. I said it now. I expect it to happen. Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, God, they're not some genie in a bottle that, that is there to meet our every wish, y'all. Yeah. To pray in Jesus' name actually has deep, profound meaning. First, it means to make a request that is consistent with the will of the Father and for the purposes of the advancement of His kingdom. Please get that. To pray in Jesus' name first means to make a request that is consistent with God's will for the purposes of advancing His kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells the disciples in His Example and his model of a prayer commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. He says to pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? The second thing that it means to pray in Jesus' name, it means to approach God based on the merits of Jesus and not ours. It means to approach him based on what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. And it's to acknowledge our utter, complete, desperate dependence upon him for our every need. Because we need him desperately. Thirdly, to pray in Jesus' name means to express a sincere desire that God will be glorified in his answer. That God will be glorified however he, he wants to answer our request, however he wants to respond to our question, to our need, that he will be glorified and that the Father's overall goal of glorifying the Son and the Son's overall goal of glorifying the Father will be aligned with our prayer. It will be aligned with our prayer. So this is all packed into the promise that Jesus is giving his disciples, let's run through it real quick. One, to do the works of Jesus. Two, to do greater works than Jesus did in, in extent and in reach. And three, to receive whatever we ask in his name according to the glory of 
the Father. Now get this. These promises would only be fulfilled and available because Jesus was going away. Because he was going away to the Father, but he's saying that I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. That's not all they would benefit. Those three promises is even more. Read on. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I know these are all very popular phrases that we've heard, but they don't exist somewhere just extending in space or on an island in and of, their, in and of themselves. They're part of a larger point that Jesus is making here again. Verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, notice carefully what he says here. He says, if we love him, we obey him. If we love him, we obey him. He doesn't say, if you obey me, I will love you. Let's say that. No. He loves us first. He loved us while we were still sinners. Newsflash. Jesus loves sinners. Like, have we forgotten that? Jesus loves sinners. He loves them. He's crazy about them. In our sin, he did, he experienced and demonstrated the greatest level of love for anybody to lay down his life and cause us friends in that moment. So he tells his friends that those who believe, if you believe in me and you claim to love me, he says, then you will keep my commandments. Now, this is what we call a cause and effect relationship in ground. Okay? A cause and effect relationship. Which means we have to know what the cause is, right? And then what the effect of the result is. Okay? The cause happens first, and it tells us why. Then the effect happens last, and it tells us what. And cause and effect clauses or phrases have signifying words that help us identify that it is indeed a cause and effect relationship. Some of those words are therefore, because, due to, since, or if, or if. And in this case, Jesus' words, he uses, if you love me, that's the cause, then you keep my commandments, that's the effect. Again, if you love me, that's the cause, that's the why, that happens first. Then he says, you will keep my commandments, that happens last, that is the effect. What does that mean? That means that we obey him out of love and faith in his promises that he first loved us. We don't obey him to earn his love or to earn his approval. We first respond to his love in faith by loving him, then we obey. Follow me? So, again, the promises of Jesus. You do my works. Two, you do greater works than I did. Three, whatever you ask in my name, according to my will, my father's going to do. And now... Loving him and keeping his commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. These are the four things that he just laid out for them. Knowing full well that he was about to leave and they would need help. They would need help, help 
doing these things. And more than help, he doesn't just give them help. He gives them a helper. Yo. That's all the intro. The rest of this is about the helper, yo. He doesn't just send an abstract idea. He sends a person. The helper. Verse 16. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, let's break this down a little bit. In verse 15, Jesus had just spoken of his disciples' love for him. Here, he reveals his love for them. They have spent again three and a half years with him. Jesus has not just been teaching them, loving them, but helping him. And what he's saying is, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you. The Father gives the Holy Spirit at the request of Jesus to his disciples to be with us momentarily. Temporarily. For a couple days until it run out. Forever. Forever. That is the promise. Now, in keeping with his intercessory work as our great high priest Jesus promises us that he would ask the Father to send the Spirit of God the helper to his followers again do you believe Jesus Yes. do you believe Jesus he says the Father will give you another helper another helper in the Greek, the New Testament is, is written in Greek, the Corne Greek specifically, which is like an every man's kind of common language of the people kind of language. So anyone, anyone could grasp it and understand it. It's important to break these down because the Corne Greek was a much purer language than our English language. So what is Jesus saying here by another helper? Well, first let's break down the noun, the, the helper. It's the Greek word parakletos. And it is a term, get this, in which the meaning cannot be exhausted by any one word. <laughs> so we can break down a lot, of, a lot of adjectives and characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And we will mention some of them. But Jesus here doesn't want to limit it based upon one thing that he does. So he uses this word, the parakletos, which cannot be exhausted by any one trait or any one word. It literally means one who is called alongside to help. He's called alongside to help. It has a connotation of a comforter, counselor, a guide. Show me the way. A teacher. Help me understand. Break it down for me. An advocate. An advocate. Be my legal representation. My defense attorney. Notice he says though, not just a helper, but another helper. The Greek word here for another is the Greek word alas. Alas. A-L-L-O-S. And what it means is specifically a different one, but of the same kind. Or another, but of the same kind exact kind. What Jesus is saying is that I'm going to go away but I'm going to send someone who is just like me. He told his listeners often if you want to know who the Father is or how the Father is look at me. 
you don't know the Father, then that means you don't think that you know me. Because me and the Father are one. What he's letting us in on here is that him and the Holy Spirit are one as well. Yes. So I'm sending one who is just like me again. Alos, another of the same kind. In our English language, we only have one word for another. In the Greek, there is another word. Heteros. Also used for another. Heteros. You may be familiar with part of this word. We get our word heterosexual from this word. But what it means is another of a different kind. Another of a different kind. In Galatians chapter 1, Apostle Paul is warning the church of Galatia to be on guard for someone who comes and preaches another gospel. The word another there means another of a different kind. Not the same kind. Not the word here in John 14. John 14 says he is another of the same so Jesus promises that he would he, he would send another of the same kind of helper exactly like himself a person who can adequately take his place and empower God's people for his work this is what he does he indwells believers to come alongside would not just be a distance tagging along but it would be a within this was groundbreaking we see the spirit of God in operation in the Old Testament operating in creation operating in the lives of believers however it was born a community setting and the spirit of God came upon them to carry out certain tasks the New Testament y'all the new covenant that we have is a better covenant yeah. It's a better deal. He doesn't yeah. just come upon us to help us accomplish certain things. He comes and lives within us. Yeah. He takes up residence within us. Oh, he indwells us. On. The spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ, yes. the spirit of the Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit yes. comes and dwells within well. you if you are a believer in Jesus. He indwells you, not just there taking up space. He indwells you to empower you for ministry. Yes. For ministry. Right. Please hear this. Your life is a ministry. Amen. You are not a minister because you go to seminary. You are not a minister because some pastor laid hands on you and said, I want you to preach now. You are not a minister because you have some degree. You're a minister because you have been called by Jesus who came to serve, not be served. The word minister means servant. <laughs> Are you a servant of Jesus? Do you believe him? Are you serving him? You're a minister. And your life, the way our lives should be arranged is for the glory of the Father. So when I'm going to work, I'm ministering. When I'm mowing my grass, I'm ministering. When I'm interacting with people, when I come in contact with somebody who maybe is having a moment of road rage and they're flicking me off. How am I ministering there? Oh, you, you're serving something. No matter who, who you're serving is the question. I've had moments, more moments than I care to even acknowledge where I've served myself. I served my own interests. I slip into this self-preservation, self-protection mode. Wanting to keep my reputation intact. At that moment, I'm a, I'm a minister of Marcella Smith, a.k.a. Sonny Smith. Minister of myself. 
We've been called, we've been given this gospel to steward as ministers, as servants of the Lord Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who helps us in this ministry. So he indwells us and he empowers us for ministry. He teaches us how to pray. Oh, yo, this is right here, y'all. Man, I'm, I just believe that we should all have a vibrant prayer life. Yeah. It doesn't mean we won't have moments where we're tired or we are struggling or sleepy, right? But when we walk with the Holy Spirit, when we tap into His indwelling presence and power, we understand the reality of Romans chapter 8, verse 26, when it says, He, the Holy Spirit, will help us in our weakness. What is our weakness, Paul? That we don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray. Oh, so that's how we can pray according to what Jesus just said. Ask anything in my name and the Father will do it. Well, how do I know what to ask for? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. He is the one praying with us, praying for us. Do you know that the Holy Spirit prays? <laughs> Y'all, he prays. Jesus prays. He's our great high priest. And the Bible says, Hebrews tell us, tells us he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's making intercession for you, for his church, right now. Right now. Man. Come on. Come on. That's crazy to me, yo. Then he helps us. By giving us the revelation of Jesus' love for us. Yeah. And helping us respond to him in love so that we can keep his commandments so that we can obey him. So please hear this. this. This isn't some, you know, merit chart where God is keeping score of every wrong thing you've ever done in your life. No. No. Do you not know if the Spirit of God is in you right now? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are indivisible. Like you can't be any closer to God than you are right now. You cannot be any closer to God even if your geography changed. Yeah. Wow. He's not he's not limited to matter. He's a person. He's a spirit. See, we may need to up our understanding of relating to being. What does it mean to be a being or to be a person? There are certain characteristics that come along with matter. There are certain characteristics that come along with spirit. When we use the word spirit, we're not talking about, like, courage. Like, man, he had a lot of spirits. See how you ran for that touchdown? No. No. We're not talking about, like, some temperament. Oh, I love just the spirit that she sings with. Oh, man. It's not some... doesn't mean you're some, you know, good fan or cheering on something. It's certainly not alcohol, right? Wine and spirits. No. When we talk about spirit, not just the Holy Spirit, but your spirit. Please hear this. You are a spirit. Yeah. You possess a soul and you live in a body. Your body is matter. Your body is matter. Matter has certain characteristics to it. Matter has weight. It is subject to gravitational pull. Matter has dimension to it. Matter has shape to it, has size to it, even the smallest molecule, an atom, right? That is what we know 
as matter. Spirit, something a little bit different. I, won't, I don't have the time to break this all the way down. But what I do want to tell you is that spirit differentiates between matter and its ability, number one, to penetrate. To penetrate. Matter bumps against other matter and it stops. That's it, it stops. It won't penetrate. Spirit, however, can penetrate anything and everything. Your body is made of matter. And yet, your spirit has penetrated your body. Amen? Amen. Spirit can also get this. He's totally all right. He is. Hey, man, you good, bro. Run around like you are free. That's why we are here. Man, matter of fact, please know this. As, as much as I want to teach what the scriptures have to say about the spirit of God, we can have all the information and come to him like a learned adult and be rejected. But if we don't come like Nathan, as a child, free, we have no place. Ain't that right, Nathan? Hey, I need your help today. Yes, yes. So spirit also penetrates spirit. Get this, it also can penetrate personality. I know there are a lot of great personality tests out there, right? I won't go through them all. I'm not saying they don't have their place, right? But please know this, for the Christian even, you may be a number one or two or three or whatever in the Enneagram, you may be whatever, choleric or melancholy, sanguine, whatever, right? But all of that is subject to the Holy Spirit who wants to penetrate your spirit to help you be conformed to the image of Christ. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about what is the Holy Spirit? Not who, but what? He has weight. He has not weight, sorry. He has not shape. He doesn't have dimension or matter or size or color. It does not make him any less real or existent. He exists just as surely as you exist. As you exist. He's a person. Like, write that on your heart, please. And, and sometimes when we talk about the things that he does, we limit him to this impersonal force. Like he moves, he breathes, he blows, he's fire. The scriptures use all of these analogies to help us understand the things that he does, but let's not get it twisted. Unless we look at him as some inanimate object of force, he's a person. Yeah. Scripture reveals he, he, he possesses all of the attributes of personhood. He has intellect, he knows the thoughts of God. He has a mind, the mind of the spirit. He has emotion. He can be grieved, Ephesians 4 tells us. He has a will. He distributes spiritual gifts to the church according to his will. He also does things that only a person can do, such as teach, testify, guide, lead, direct. He convicts. He speaks. He prays. He intercedes. And he reveals. An impersonal force can't be lied to. The Holy Spirit can't be lied to. 
I wish I had time to go into the scriptures, but we have these specific examples. But if you want to just read about that, turn to Acts chapter 5, specifically in verse 3. Specifically in verse 3. The Holy Spirit is not just a person, though. The Holy Spirit is God. Yeah. He's God. He does things that only God can do. Like create the universe. <laughs> like inspire scripture. Like regenerate lost sinners. And like sanctify a believer who maybe has been struggling with one thing or a few things for 20 years. It is the Holy Spirit who does the work of sanctification in our hearts. The question is, do you believe? And not only do you believe in Jesus, but do you believe that when you believed in Jesus and placed faith in Jesus, yeah. that he sent his spirit to indwell you? Do you believe that? Because what that means is there's no such thing as a Christian that does not have the Holy Spirit. Mic drop. In case you didn't know. There's no such thing as a Christian that does not have the Holy Spirit. However, there are times in our lives where we may feel like our... Our river stopped running. Yeah. The river is supposed to run, y'all. It's supposed to keep moving. There are times when it feels like more of a, of a swamp. And Paul encourages us in the book of Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit. But that the connotation there in the Greek is a continual filling. It doesn't mean you get filled once and that's it. No, it means that we keep being filled on the day of Pentecost when Jesus had promised, made this promise to his disciples. He later tells them to go to the upper room and wait. And they have this incredible experience with the Holy Spirit. We'll get into that a little more later. Well, as they began to experience the Holy Spirit, as he came up on them and it manifested in tongues, speaking in tongues, yeah, yeah. those who were looking at them thought they were drunk right. now don't raise your hand but have you ever been drunk before yes sir and anybody like catch a picture of it get it on camera you ever watch it back you know what I'm saying like we we look like we need help when we are drunk and those who are looking said they look like they're drunk now if you've been if you have gotten drunk before like did you stay drunk Oh, did you? <laughs> Nobody wants to raise their hand. <laughs> I ain't never been drunk. All right, buzzed. Did you stay buzzed? No, no you had to drink again to get to that place again where you are being controlled by something else, by another substance. Well, please hear this. The Holy Spirit is not matter, but he is substance. <laughs> and what it means to be indwelled with him and filled by him is that we are living the life where we are controlled by him and by him alone. This is our prayer. I'm done. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. I know this topic, and I don't want to be impersonal about the Holy Spirit, who you are, you are God, yeah. you are present, yeah. you are with us, you are Lord. Religion wants to complicate things. Oh. And we know who's behind religion, Satan. Yeah. Satan wants to complicate who the Holy Spirit is so that we don't believe 
And so do we don't walk in the fullness of the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we get in these theological battles, even in our own minds. I mean, am I baptized with the Spirit? Be filled with the Spirit? To have the fruit of the Spirit? The anointing of the Spirit? The Spirit upon? The Spirit within? I don't know. I don't know. What is it? I don't know what to ask for. John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Get this. The life of the Christian, the life of the believer in Jesus is a life that flows inside out. We can talk about the external evidences, right? I'm not saying we shouldn't neglect those things. But the primary evidence are not things that are external. It is the working of God, the Holy Spirit, on the inside out of us. And Jesus simply says, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow within them. Verse 39 says, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. However, that time is not now. He has gone on to be with the Father. He's alive with the Father. He's purchased our salvation. He's promised the Holy Spirit and he's kept his promise. And if you are a person who has not yet placed faith in Jesus, you can do that simply where you are by acknowledging your need for him. If you are a person who has done this, but maybe your well has run dry. Maybe you've tried to approach him intellectually. Not just God the Father, but God the Spirit. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing to be intimidated by. Do you know if Jesus was to walk through those gates into this park right now, we would have nothing to fear. We wouldn't, kids wouldn't run from him. He would come in with such gentleness and kindness and he would love us just in the look of his eyes. Do you not know that the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of Jesus. So if you want to know how he is, look at Jesus. Look at how Jesus lived and operated. There's nothing to be afraid of. He's kind. He's gentle. He's loving. He's powerful. He's available. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.